book. But for this morning, we're in, in Matthew chapter 17. We've been talking about the hard sayings of Jesus. This one uh, has all kinds of hard sayings, and it is all, everything that everybody says in here uh, is confusing and difficult. And so, uh, but we're going to look at why this is a great uh, picture of faith. We've been singing songs this morning about faith. And Jesus is now going to say some pretty challenging words about the kind of faith that we are supposed to have and how that is ultimately supposed to come about. But before we get into that, let's look at the scene that is before us. There has just been read for us in Matthew chapter 17. Uh, in verse, Remember, in, in verses 1 through 13, we have the scene of Jesus on the mountain with Peter, James, and John that... Jesus has been radically transformed before them. His glory is shining. It's bright like the sun. Elijah and Moses are there with him. The grand message of that mountain scene is listen to him. This is my son and listen to him. Now, but in verses 14 through 20, we get one of those. Meanwhile, back down on the base of the mountain there are some other things that were going on. The rest of the disciples had been left behind there. And we're told something pretty fascinating. That when Jesus and Peter, James, and John come back to the crowds in verse 14, we're told that a man came up to him kneeling before him and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for they could not heal him. I mean, that should just already be jarring to read that. What? <laughs> you imagine Jesus coming back into the crowds. This man comes up to Jesus and says, please have mercy on my son. He falls in the fire. He suffers terribly. He falls in the water. He has seizures. And I brought him to your disciples and they couldn't heal him. Now, I want us to think about that picture for a moment, because it is not that Jesus had not given his disciples the ability to do this. I'll remind you of what we read back in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1, when Jesus calls his 12 apostles there and gives them authority over the unclean spirits to cast them out. And I've underlined it there for you, and to heal every disease and every affliction. So this is not a situation where Jesus is going to say, yeah, I gave you power over some afflictions and some diseases, and this one's a real tough one, I know. <laughs> That's not the problem here. The problem is something else. And the disciples had this ability to be able to heal every disease and every affliction. And yet in spite of that, you see that they are unable to do so. They are unable to cast this out. Now, one of the things that I love about this scene is that this man has not left the mountain. When the disciples fail, he doesn't go, well, this is all just a bunch of phonies and a fake. And we're just going to go home and, and, and forget this. He waits for Jesus. <laughs> the disciples aren't going to make it work, but I know Jesus can. So he just waits till Jesus comes down from the mountain and he comes right up to Jesus, even though there's a crowd there and says, your disciples tried. It didn't work. Have mercy on my son. 
and heal him, please, because he suffers terribly. Now, I want you to notice the first thing that Jesus says, and just about everything that Jesus says here is just stunning. But notice the strong rebuke in verse 17. Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? That, that's a lot. <laughs> I, I find it fascinating that Jesus says the words that he says here. And I want you to notice that he, he, he says, how long am I to be with you? How long am I going to be bearing with you? This faithless and twisted generation is what he describes a, a, of them. Now, this term, twisted and faithless generation, is a, is a unique term in, in, in the scriptures. It's not a term that Jesus throws around lightly. You only read it here. In, in Matthew's gospel, and it comes from Moses' sermon that I want to show you very quickly to get a place of what does it mean for Jesus to call them a faithless and twisted generation. Back in Deuteronomy 32, as Moses is preaching to the people and he's reminding them about their failure in the wilderness, he, he speaks of God and speaks of the people. First of God, the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Here is Moses saying, God was faithful to you and did everything that he said. However, you have been faithless to him. And he elaborates on that in the sermon. A little bit later on, Moses says, you were unmindful of the rock that bore you. And you forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw it and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faithfulness. Notice what Moses means by this is not only is God faithful, but the people have not trusted in God. In fact, you'll notice the wording, you forgot God. You forgot the one who gave you birth. You forgot the one who had rescued you from, from Egypt. You forgot all the wonders and signs. You forgot how he cared for you. In fact, if you went back and read the context that we don't have time for, in the middle of that chapter is you went to your idols. You had your golden calf. You didn't turn to me and look to me for help. You looked to yourselves. You looked to your idols. You looked to your possessions. And so that's why he calls them a faithless and twisted or perverse generation. I think this is an interesting picture to keep in mind as the disciples are now going to ask why this all went the way it did, why he would use this terminology on not only this generation, but also his disciples is a picture of not looking to God. Notice what happens in verse 18. Jesus rebukes the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed Instantly. Now, verse 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately. Why could we not 
cast it out. I love this scene. After the son is healed, the crowd seems to be sent away. The, the 12 now come up to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, why didn't that work? You can imagine what that would have looked like. You can imagine that here they tried to heal. It doesn't work. What happened? How come we failed at this? Why couldn't we cast that demon out? Why couldn't we heal that son? And I want you to listen to just the stunning, hard words that Jesus says. It is very simple. It is very short. And it's right between the eyes. Because of your little faith or lack of faith. Wow. Wow. I suppose I would have expected a different answer. I think I would have expected, well, you know, these demons are tricky. Uh, They can be a little tough. If with a little more practice, you might be able to get there. You're just an apprentice right now, but one day you'll be able to, you know, with something like that, right? You know, well, you didn't say the right words. You didn't wave your hands the right way. You didn't do some sort of thing. It's not what he says. You would expect him to have some kind of answer like, oh, well, it's okay. You'll get there one day. Instead, his answer is you don't have faith. Wow. Be like, we're, we're, we're right here with you, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> uh, wow. Because of your lack of faith. And notice how Jesus pushes that in verse 20. Truly, I say to you, If you have the faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to here, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Notice that Jesus does not say, yeah, I didn't expect that you could have done this healing, but rather he said, even if you would have had a small amount of faith, The size of a mustard seed. That's used in scriptures repeatedly to speak of how small something is. If you would have had faith this small, you would have been able to do this. In fact, nothing would have been impossible with you. Mountains could have been been cast aside and moved. Now, keep in mind, I think that's a hyperbole here. That's hyperbole is used a few times in scriptures in that way. Where remember the Apostle Paul talking about if I have the, the, the love, I'm able to this faith to move mountains. Well, I, I think he's speaking of uh, hyperbole here in that way. And it's used that way even like in Luke chapter 3 and verse 5 and talking about the symbolism of moving obstacles out of the way. This is a pretty big obstacle that stood before the disciples. Here is this demon-possessed son, and it's serious enough that he has seizures, he suffers terribly, he throws himself in the fire. That's obviously not according to his own personal will to do that. He's been cast in the water, thrown into the fire, and Jesus says, if you had had just a little bit of faith, you would have removed that problem. In fact, if you have a little bit of faith, you can remove any obstacle is the picture that he gives. You can lower mountains. You can tell them to move. You'll just bulldoze them right out of the way. In fact, the words of verse 20 are also very difficult and very stunning to say nothing will be impossible for you. I want you to see something really important right here. Jesus' direct answer as to why they could not do this 
was because of a lack of faith. He just squarely puts it on it. There is no other reason. There is no other issue. There's no other problem. He just right between the eyes tells them, you're a faithless and twisted generation and you're not trusting God. That's his direct answer about what the problem is. Now, to understand what Jesus means by that, I think it's useful to take a step back and think about what Jesus is indicating and trying to explain. Is Jesus, because that is the end of the scene. I mean, that's it. There you go. That's the paragraph right there. So we have to stop now and go, okay, what was Jesus trying to communicate to his disciples? What is he trying to get across to them? And I will ask you, is Jesus trying to tell us is that we can do anything if we would just put our mind to it. If you just would have some positive affirmation, if you think you're good enough, you can, you can pull this off. Just, just think of what you're able to do. I'm going to submit to you that's not his point. And he's not trying to say that the power of positive thinking is able to give you the chance to move mountains and do great things like that. The scriptures are not filled with that kind of language or instruction. So when he tells them nothing will be impossible for you, we have to try to get our hands around what does he mean by that and how could that be true? How is it possible to tell these disciples nothing will be impossible for you? And I want to underscore this point. I hope it will resonate with you for this lesson today. And something that will stick with you as we look at the rest of this lesson and make some applications. Nothing would be impossible because it's not going to be by their power, but because of their faith in God's power. That's the issue. In fact, the reason why they are failing is because they are looking to themselves. They aren't looking to the rock. They are not looking to the Father. They are not looking to Christ. They just thought, we'll cast this thing out. And the Father comes up and says, they tried, and it didn't work. Jesus can't be saying, you have the power within yourself to do whatever you can possibly do, and it's all within you. That's the very problem here. The disciples tried to do it of themselves, and it didn't work. The issue is how could something be absolutely impossible except that it's in the hands of God? And I want you to think about how often the scriptures try to drive home the point that nothing is impossible with God. But with us, it is impossible. All kinds of things are impossible for us to do. But God always comes in and goes, you see the obstacle, yet you can't clear the mountain, but I can. One of my favorite scenes of that is with Moses and the Lord. You have in Numbers chapter 11, where the people are sick of manna. They don't want this manna anymore. We want meat to eat. They're reminiscing of the, quote, good old days of Egypt when they were eating all kinds of different foods. You want to put the parenthesis in there and go, they were killing your children, but please don't remember how great things were in Egypt. But they're remembering the food. And so here's God's answer. God says in Numbers 11, 
Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. Now, remember, they're in the middle of the wilderness. They're in the middle of nowhere. You shall not eat for just one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? I love God's answer. You don't think God has a sense of humor? Oh my. <laughs> you want me? I'm going to make it come out your nose until you're so sick of it, you won't want to see it anymore. I'm going to make it detestable to you. You're going to hate me by the time I get done with you. Side point, hey kids, don't complain about your food. God ain't happy. Uh, that's what you have happening here. Oh, we're so sick of manna. And God goes, really? But I want you to listen to what Moses does here at this scene. Here God says, I'm going to make you eat meat for a month in the middle of this wilderness. And you're going to have so much of it, it's going to come out your nose. Here's Moses. But Moses said, the people among whom I am number 6,000 on foot, and you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered to them and be enough for them? God says, I'm going to make him eat meat. And Moses goes, how do you expect me to do that? He's <laughs> looking around going, there's no way we can feed all of these people meat. And certainly not for a month. And that's what he gives the point. I mean, is there even enough fish in all the sea to be able to feed these people for a month? We just would wipe out the whole population, Lord. What's Moses doing? Looking at himself, right? I can't do that. How can you possibly say that? And listen to what God says. Is my arm short? And now you'll see whether my word will come to pass or not. Moses, you're looking in the wrong place. <laughs> Moses, you're looking at yourself. I didn't say that you were going to do it. I said I was going to do it. I will give them meat to eat. Moses thinks he's got to be the one to do this. God goes, I can do it. Friends, this happens all over the New Testament. All of the miraculous feedings. You remember how Jesus starts this? Hey, go give my, my crew something to eat. 5,000, not including women and children, are, are, are being counted there. And remember how the disciples keep going, there's not enough food here. <laughs> and here's God going, I'm talking about what I can do. I know you can't do it. I can do it. You don't have the power. I have the power. And so often we miss that this is how nothing is impossible. We want to read, hey, nothing's an impossible thing. And so then we think it's going to be by our power. No, it can't be by our power. Most things are impossible for us. We have the greatest obstacles, the greatest mountains before us in our lives. But God is coming along and saying, there's nothing that I can't do. How often does the New Testament try to make this point for us? Let me illustrate it one other way. <clears throat> we read of like in Hebrews chapter 11. There are all these people and all the amazing things that they did Abraham and Moses and the whole list of <coughs> Joshua and Jacob and Joseph and they're all listed in there of all the things that people did and I want you to think about how we can sometimes read this text where we read of 
get to the end. What do we say about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets conquering kingdoms and forcing justice, obtain promises, stopping the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escape by the edge of the sword, made strong out of weakness, mighty in war, put armies to flight and read that and go. Man, it's amazing what those people could do. And I blacked out a part of the line. How'd they do it? They didn't look at themselves. They looked at God. Who through faith shut the mouths of lions, quenched fire, and did all these amazing things for God. Jesus' message right here is so important that it is through faith. Why, Jesus, can we not cast out these these demons and heal this son? It's because you lacked faith. Why are they a faithless and twisted generation? Because rather than believing in what the Lord could do for their lives, they put their trust in the physical. They trusted in what they had. They trusted in what they could do. They trusted in themselves. They trusted in what they could see. And they were not mindful of the rock that had rescued them. Let me make a couple points from this lesson that I think are just really important. I want you to ask this question Honestly, and I know what you're going to say right away, so I'm going to shoot it right back down. But I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to walk through this. Now you're going to read this question. What do you believe God cannot do? And you're going to tell me right now. He can, he can do everything. Stop a minute. And think about this question again. Do you really believe that there is nothing that God can't do. Do you really believe that? Or do we believe, yeah, he can do, but there's this really hard thing. There's this real big obstacle. There's this really big mountain. There's this massive hardship. There's this crazy difficulty. You don't understand. And I want you just to hear what Jesus is saying is, is that if you have faith, those mountains can move. That God is trying to ask us, do we believe that there are things that he cannot do? What obstacle is in your life that you think God can't do anything about? I want you to be honest. What obstacle is in your life that you think God can't do anything about? What mountain is in your life that you think God cannot overcome? And I want you to just ask yourself, why can't God radically change the direction of your life? Why can't God take you a new way? Why can't there be a new path? Why would we come to God and tell him there is something you can't do? Because this is the beauty of this scene. If I believe if you would ask these nine disciples who had been left behind at the bottom of the mountain, uh, do you believe in Jesus? Absolutely. (laughs) 
Do you have faith that he can do anything? Absolutely. Are you able to cast out demons? Of course we can. We've been given that by our Lord. So why did you fail? Because you stopped believing somewhere in there. You started looking at the physical. You started looking at yourself. You started looking at your own power. And stopped looking at what God can do. Now let me bring you to the second point. Because this is actually not really the application. The point is actually this. What do you believe God can't do through you? That's what's happening right here. They don't believe that through them, they can cast out this demon and heal the son. It's too much. So it's not only what do you believe God can't do for you in your life in general, but move it to where Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's telling them, Nothing will be impossible for you if you have faith. If you understand what I am able to do and who I am, I can accomplish this through you is the issue. That's what is on display. The disciples did not believe that God could heal through them. Moses did not believe that God could feed the people through him. They looked at that as too much of an obstacle. Moses said, I can't do it. God goes, I know you can't. (laughs) I'll do it through you. I'm the one that can do it. And so often what we have the tendency to do when it comes to our walk with God is we will read about what God has called us to, our great and glorious purposes. And our first response can be, I can't do that. And I want you to hear God say, you're right. You can't. But can God through you? Yeah, you can. But so often we just turn them out. Oh, I can't do that. Yeah, I know we can't. But can God do it through you? Yeah, you can. Can God make you A great worker in the kingdom of God? Can God use you for his purposes? Can God make you a teacher? Can God make you someone who encourages? Can God make you someone who serves? Can God make you a leader in his body? Can God transform you so that he can work through you and do great things through your life? Not because of you, Not by your power, but because of who he is. Can he do that through you? That's what God's trying to communicate to us. Let me end the lesson in what might seem to be a weird place, but I'll I'll bring it together. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. To make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. I am highlighting a picture that the Apostle Paul uses here. His picture is this You're an instrument. And you either can be an instrument 
that is put into the hands of sin and unrighteousness so that your body and your time and your life are used for that purpose. Or you can be an instrument in the hands of God who uses your body, your time, and uses it for God's will and God's service. You're an instrument. But you have to choose in whose hands you will be used. So think of yourself in that way. I'm just an instrument. And here's Paul saying, you want to be an instrument of righteousness or an instrument of unrighteousness? You want God to use you to accomplish things? Or do you want sin to be accomplishing things through you? And if you're an instrument in God's hands, what do you believe God can't do through you? If you give your life to God and you say, I'll be an instrument for him. I will serve him. I will allow him to use me in whatever way he sees fit. Then what can he not accomplish through you in accomplishing his purposes and accomplishing his will? But friends, so long as we look to ourselves, God can't work through us. Because we keep telling God, I can't do that. We keep telling God, oh, that's too hard. That's too much. That's too difficult. That's too challenging. And so just ask yourself as you go through the week, what do you believe God cannot do? And what do you believe God can't do through you? And make yourself an instrument in the hands of God so that he can use you to accomplish his will. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, forgive us for how often we look to ourselves. We look to our abilities, we look to our time, we look to our frailness and weaknesses. We look to such physical things and we turn around and tell you that we cannot do it. Lord, forgive us for how often we look to ourselves. We look to our own strength and our own abilities rather than allowing us to become instruments in your hands. God, forgive us for how often we do that. And Lord, I pray that each of us would give our lives to you so that we could be instruments of righteousness. Lord, give us the faith to see that you can accomplish your will and do great things, not only in our lives for us, but through our lives for the world. Lord, help us to never forget that nothing is impossible for you. And every mountain and every obstacle and every challenge and every hardship that comes along, that we can trust you and you can move those mountains. Forgive us for forgetting these truths. And Lord, we pray that you would build our faith solidly on this wonderful word so that we would trust you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength in the days ahead. And Lord, we pray that we could be instruments of righteousness in your service. Forgive us for our sins. 
And help us to be the people you want us to be so that we can not only serve one another, but we can serve the world and shine as lights in the darkness around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If I wanted to make the sermon another half an hour or an hour, which would be fun if you all had nowhere to go, but Moses is such a great picture of that. You might remember God comes to Moses and just says, you know, you're going to be the guy. Remember what Moses said? Can't even talk. You've, you've got the wrong guy. I can't do any of those things. I, I don't know how to speak. You, you. What God do through him? My, oh my. Don't say what God cannot do through you. Give him your life today. Turn away from sin. Be an instrument of righteousness, confessing Jesus to be the Son of God who died for your sins. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. So start that walk with Jesus this very day. If you've wandered from the faith, we want to help you. Let, let us help you in that. We want to encourage you in that, in, that, in that journey with him. That all of us end up falling short and falling down. And we want to help you come back to God and put your faith in him. Just let us know how we can help you. You can come forward now while we stand and while we sing.